There was a strange title on this message, and I called it Chapter 5. Brother Doug said, what is Chapter 5? Well, last fall, I was working on a series of messages we did on Sunday evenings, and we were doing biographies of people in Hebrews 11. And I've actually been encouraged by several folks to turn that into a book form. Well, I finished the first four chapters, and the first four chapters are the biographies of the first four men listed in Hebrews 11.32. Chapter 1 was Gideon, 2 was Barak, 3 was Samson, and 4 was Jephthah. When I was done with that, I thought I needed to stop because those lives, are so, their spiritual walks are so crazy different from one another. I'm looking at their four lives, and I'm thinking there's only one way all four of these characters could get to glory, and that's through grace. There's no system of salvation that would get these four to glory other than through faith. So chapter 5 is stopping and reflecting on the first four before I move on. That has enticed me to preach this message today. Okay, so with that, let's move forward. And I'm going to start here in Genesis 27. Now again, Genesis 27 is not my message. We're going to learn about Jacob and Esau and Isaac and Rebekah, but that's not my message. This is nothing more than a metaphor talking about harmonizing truth and facts. And I'm going to use this as my illustration. Sometimes they say a picture is worth a thousand words. I think this is a great picture to lay out the foundation for the true message, and that's harmonizing Scripture. So with that being said, let's start reading Genesis 27. I'm going to read nearly the whole chapter. Um, Not the whole chapter, I just want to get this conflict. Let me set the setting here. As you know, there was a couple named Isaac and Rebekah, and they had a uh, set of twins. And there was plans for the set of twins in uh, uh, Genesis 25 and about verse 23. God said to Rebekah, he said, you know what? Your youngest son is going to be blessed in a mighty way. God spoke to her that way. In the beginning of Genesis 27, Isaac, which evidently didn't hear the God's blessing, had plans to give that very blessing to the oldest son, which was tradition at that time. Well, Rebecca overheard her husband's plans, and instead of saying, honey, the Lord told me, she went about it another way to help God keep his promise. You better laugh, because God doesn't need us to help him keep his promises, right? But anyway, we're going through a whole bunch of deception here, and what I want you to focus on as we read this, I want you to read, because Rebecca through her son Jacob, is going to do her best to fool as many of the senses of her husband Isaac. Got it? Okay. Now, we know that there's five senses. We go sight, right, smell, taste, touch, and hearing. I'm going to add a sixth sense. No, it's not ESP. I'm going to add common sense, okay, reasoning. Okay. She's going to do her best to fool Isaac on all six fronts. I'm going to read this once through, and as I read it, see if you can pick up the different sense. Oh, there's one, there's one, there's smell, there's here. You, know, you got it? Do that, and then we'll double back and we'll get that, and then I'm going to start wrapping up and making some of the main points. Okay? <clears throat> I sure sound like a math teacher, don't I? I'm guilty, all right? Genesis 27, starting at verse 1. And it came to pass that when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim, 
so that he could not see, he called Esau his eldest son and said unto him, My son, and he said unto him, Behold, here am I. And he said, Behold, now I am old, I know not the day of my death. Now therefore take, I pray thee, thy weapons, thy quiver and thy bow, and go out to the field and take some venison, and make me some savory meat such as I love, and bring it to me, that I may eat, and that my soul may bless thee before I die. See, this whole lesson is about a blessing. Okay? Verse 5. And Rebekah heard when Isaac spake to Esau his son, and Esau went to the field to hunt for venison and to bring it. And Rebekah spake unto Jacob her son, saying, Behold, I heard thy father speak unto Esau thy brother, saying, Bring me venison and make me savory meat that I may eat and bless thee before the Lord before my death. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice according to that which I command thee. So this is basically Rebekah's plan, and her son is following orders from mom. Verse 9, go now to the flock and fetch me from thence two good kids of the goats, and I will make them savory meat for thy father such as he loveth. And thou shalt bring it to thy father, that he may eat and that he may bless thee before his death. And Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, behold, Esau my brother is a hairy man and I am a smooth man. My father peradventure will feel me. And I shall seem to him as a deceiver. Well, you are a deceiver, right? Okay. And I shall bring a curse upon me, not a blessing. And his mother said unto him, Upon me be thy curse. My son, obey my voice and go and fetch me them. Jacob, you're worrying too much. I got this under control. And he went and fetched and brought them to his mother. And his mother made savory meat, such as his father loved. And Rebekah took a goodly garment of her eldest son, which were within her the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the kids of the goats on his hands and upon the smooth of his neck. Verse 17. And she gave the savory meat and the bread. And when she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob, he came unto his father and he said, My father. And he said, Here am I. Who art thou, my son? And Jacob said unto his father, I am Esau, thy firstborn. I have done according to that as thou badest me. Arise, I pray thee, sit and eat my venison, that my soul may bless me. And Isaac said unto his son, How is it that thou hast found it so quickly, my son? And he said, Because the Lord thy God brought it to me. And Isaac said unto Jacob, Come near, I pray thee, that I may feel thee, my son, whether thou be my very son Esau or not. And Jacob went near unto his father, and he felt him, and he said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. You feel like Esau, but you sound like Jacob. Okay. Verse 23, And he discerned him not, because his hands were hairy, as his brother Esau's hands, so he blessed him. And he said, Art thou my very son Esau? And he said, I am. And he said, Bring it to me, and... I will eat of my son's venison, that my soul may bless thee. And he brought it near him, and he did eat, and he brought him wine, and he drank. And his father Isaac said unto him, Come now, come near now, and kiss me, my son. 
And he came near and he kissed him and he smelled the smell of the raiment and he blessed him and said, see, the smell of my son is the smell as the field which the Lord hath blessed thee. And here verse 28 and 29 is the blessing. Therefore God give thee of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth and the plenty of corn and wine. Let people serve thee and nations bow down to thee. Be Lord over thy brethren. That's pretty powerful stuff that he's bestowing on Jacob. He thinks he's given to Esau, but he's giving it to Jacob. And let thy mother's son bow down to thee. Curse be everyone that curseth thee, and blessed be he that blessed thee. And then we find out in the next couple verses that Esau comes back and they figure out it was deceit. Let me read verse 35. And he said, thy brother came, this is uh, dad talking to Esau, thy brother came with me, and he hath taken away thy blessing. He stole it. He got it here first. He tricked me and he got your blessing. And that's the story, okay? So let's go back and let's go through the six sentence, sense, sense, ah, it's hard to say fast. Six senses, okay, including common sense. The first one is eyesight. And basically, first one says he's blind, right? So eyesight, one of the senses is kind of off the table. We're not going to rule with that one. Yes? So right now, we have zero yeses, we have zero noes, we got one off the table, and we got zero waffles. You're saying, what's a waffle got to do with it? No, not breakfast, Josiah. We'll get to the waffling later, okay? So right now, it's zero, zero, one, zero. Okay? Smell, smell. Well, they use deception to get smell. In verse 15, it says he took goodly maiment of his eldest son. Basically, what mom did, mom went into his son, her son's Esau's closet, took out a garment, and he said, he didn't say he gave it to Jacob to put it on. He just said she put it on him. The guy's a grown kid. What are you dressing your son for? But anyway, that's what she did. She put it on Jacob, and she dressed him in the clothes. So then when Jacob came near, dad smelled the field, Right? So right now, we have one yes, zero no's, one off the table, and zero waffles. Okay? Let's keep on going. The next sense is taste. Taste. So basically what Rebecca did is says, son, go get me a couple young goats. I'm going to butcher them, and I'm going to season them, and I'm going to use spice, maybe that Cajun blackened stuff, and, fry, and do it in a way, and it's going to make it real savory so your dad can't tell the difference between goat meat and deer meat. And you're thinking, well, I probably couldn't do that. Well, you probably couldn't. But my guess is Jacob probably ate that most of his life, and he probably could. So I'm guessing what happened was is he, she seasoned it up pretty good the way he liked it, able to fool him. Amen? And notice when it was served, it was served with a little bit of wine. A little bit of wine is pretty good for dulling the senses also. Right? Yes? Huh. So right now... It's two yeses, zero noes, one off the board, and one waffle. You're thinking, Brother Dolph, why do you keep on showing the scoreboard here? Well, there's, gonna, there's a reason for my madness. Let's keep on going. We got three senses down, three to go. Amen? Okay. Number four, touch. Touch. Okay, what they did is they took the hides of these two goats... And I don't know exactly how she did it, but she made some kind of gloves and some kind of collar, and the raiment was over top of that, and he put it on. And all I can think is, Esau must have been one hairy dude. 
okay? But basically, when, he, when she touched his neck, and he, he said, that's my son, right? So there we go. Let's look at the scorecard right now. Right now, it's three yeses, zero noes, one off the board, and one waffle. I mean, zero waffles, right? We got two senses to go. The next one is hearing, right? Hearing. This is one they couldn't fool, right? Remember when he spoke? He said, he, Jacob spoke the words that were expected of his brother, but his voice didn't sound like him, and dad heard it. Now, we talked about this in a Bible study. You know, when someone is blind, they say that the other senses become more acute. But on the other hand, when you get older, some senses get duller too. So I don't know if it's a break even. I don't know exactly what's going on where he is. But this is what's going on. His hearing was still pretty sharp. And he can say, no, Jake, and I don't know if it was one was higher or one was lower, whatever it is, the flexion. I, I don't know what it was. But there was something about his voice. He said, no. So right now, it's three yeses, one no, and one off the board. Still got one more sense. That's common sense, right? And the common sense was, is in verse 20, and Isaac said, how in the world did you get that food on the table so fast? You, you, you got it? You went out in the woods, you set up your deer stand. No, I'm joking. I know they didn't have deer. You looked at the tracks, you knew where to go, you hunted it, you've got it, and, and then you, you, you shot it, and then you gutted it, and you, you hauled it all the way back, and then you cooked. How in the world did you do that so fast? And I'll give you a little hint. This is the excuse every pastor hates. They blame it on the sovereignty of God. You got a young man that comes to you, and I want to marry this girl? I know, but God told me she's just right for me. What do you do with that, right? The sovereignty of God. That's such a tough one, and that's what she does. So that's what I'm going to put in the waffle camp. Okay? Have you ever talked to someone and says, well, I believe this. Why do you believe it? Because God told me. Well, you didn't tell me. I can't go with that one, especially when Scripture appears to say something else. I hate that one as a pastor. I hate that one as a father. But there it is. Okay, so right now, we got three yeses, one no, one off the board, one waffle. The question is, would you pray that prayer in 28 and 29 over someone when it's three, one, one, and one? And you think, I don't know. Well, let me ask you some questions. Let's pretend you're on a jury, okay? You're on a jury, and the prosecution made its case, and the defense have made its case, and you've got to convict someone, and maybe it's a life sentence, or maybe it's 20 years, or maybe it's even just three years. Would you convict someone if it was three, one, one, and one? Is that under the guise of reasonable doubt? Probably not, huh? Okay. How about if you were courting someone? You got together and you were dating for a purpose and you had a guy in mind or a girl in mind and you're looking at it and, and after a period of time and you're doing this getting to know with an idea of getting married and you're looking and three, one, one, and one, would you pull the trigger and get married? Probably not, huh? Okay. How about if you had to have an operation? A really serious operation. And a doctor comes to you and he gives you the facts and he gives you three, one, one, and one. Would you have the operation? I think at the very least I'd get a second opinion, amen? Yes? 
how about if you had to ordain someone, candidate for the ministry, and he comes up there and he's a three, one, 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 one. Would you ordain him and let him be your pastor? Probably not. But Isaac prayed the prayer, three, one, one, and one. So the question I have for you is, let's pretend you're in a situation like that. Now, I'm still practical. This is not my main message. You're still, what can you do to help the numbers? Let me give you a couple ideas, a couple thoughts. Okay. I want to pray that prayer. That's a big prayer. Who's going to be the patriarch of the family? I got to know. And I got to off the table. So what can I do to prove some of those numbers? Number one, sight. Sight's off the table. Yes. This came, we came up with this one in the Bible study. See right there? I got a five-year-old grandson right there. I'm blind and I don't know who's in front of me. I say, hey, Gideon, come here. Who's that guy right there? Is that Uncle Jacob or Uncle Esau? See that one off the board? Do you think I can kind of slide that one into one of the other columns? I think so. Yes? Even a four-year-old could help me there. I don't know. I want to marry this person. I got this one off the top. I can't see. You know, anyone that's young and got the hormones flowing, they can't see. But don't ask a four-year-old. Ask an 80-year-old. What do you see? Amen? All right. Let's go to the next one. The next one, hearing, hearing, it sure doesn't sound like, he's saying all the right things, but that sure doesn't sound like him. Maybe you can ask him a question that only Esau could answer, right? You remember that time you and I were out doing this job here and we went wrong, how do we fix that? Oh, okay, yeah, I remember that, yeah, or you don't have a clue? Right? I think I can take one of those other ones that's kind of in the waffle camp and I can throw it somewhere else. Yes? And then the last one. How about that reasoning one? I'm only focusing on the three ones. Not, not the three yeses, the one, one, and one. Yeah. God brought it to you so fast, huh? Well, tell me a little bit about the hunt. Give me some of the details about the hunt. So, so after you ask these questions, say, I'm in this, I don't know what to do. So, so instead of reacting and convicting a guy with 3111 or having the operation or ordaining the person, maybe I start doing a little homework to get the numbers a little more in my favor before I pull the trigger on the decision I got to make. Does that make sense? It's funny, I, I, used, I got a friend on the other side of the country. He's a preacher friend of mine. And uh, we usually talk on Friday or Saturday and say, what are you going to preach? And we bounce ideas off of each other. Sometimes he makes it better. Sometimes uh, he just says, you're crazy. But he laughed at that, and I was going through this. I says, would you have the operation? Would you marry the couple? Would you ordain the person? He goes, no, no. And he says, I wouldn't even let you work on my truck. <laughs> With three, one, and one, and one. Right? That's what he said. But, but here we are. So, so we're, we're doing some things to try to improve the numbers. Okay, so maybe we've done these things and we've asked the four-year-old to do the eyesight and we've asked the questions, something intimate that only the other person, and, and we get the things now to five, zero, zero, and one. Would you pray the prayer now? And I think I probably would. 
I think I probably would. Sometimes if we wait for everything to be 600, and 0, we'd be paralyzed and would do nothing, right? In a perfect world, that's exactly what we want. But sometimes that's the best we can do. Amen? All right. Today's message is not about Jacob. It's not about Esau. It's not about Rebecca. It's not about Isaac. It's not about marriage. It's not about trials. It's not about operations. It's about scripture. I'm tired of the interaction between people where you're talking about something and my 10 verses beat your stack of four verses. You win because you got 10 to four. That's not the way we deal with scripture. We say time out and we harmonize all the scriptures into one truth. My guess is if it's 10 and it's four, neither one of you are right. Amen? There's, there's something in there that harmonizes it. And I want to show you this. God demands harmony of Scripture from the preachers. Verse 1, 2 Timothy 3.10. Thou hast fully known my doctrine, my manner, my purpose, my faith, and my charity. In other words, when you look at the preacher, and you look at the qualifications of a preacher, there's two lists of 18 qualifications, one in 1 Timothy 3, the other one in Titus 1. And he says, I want to see your doctrine in the words you speak and in the shoe leather of your life. That's the harmony that's required of God of a person. That should be the harmony of the man you would ask to marry, or the, hopefully that's not the woman asking the marrying, you understand though, and in the marriage you're accepting the, the proposal or you're making the proposal to, you're, you're, you're seeing harmony in the whole life. Not this one little compartment called church on Sunday. I want to see it in business. I want to see it in family. I want to see it in relationships. I want to see it in work ethic. I want to see it in everything. Okay? 1 Corinthians 4.17, I sent Timotheus, who shall remind as I teach everywhere in every church. Paul says, I preach the same thing everywhere I go. When I'm preaching to Jews, I preach the same truth. When I preach to Gentiles, I preach the same truth. Okay? In Revelations 2.24, this is one of the churches that got off. I say as many as have not this doctrine and will put none other burden on you. In other words, we go with one harmonious truth. Okay? Number two, God demands harmony from the saints. Got it? 1 Thessalonians 5.21 says, Prove all things, hold fast that which is good. 2 Timothy 1.13 says, Hold fast the form of the sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love. And then 1 John 4.1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they got. What do you prove them? What do you try them against? If I come here and I tell you something I believe and there is no scripture for it and all I can do is pull up a commentary, you run me off. This is my only authority. This is what we harmonize to. I'm not going to harmonize to man's words. I want to harmonize Thessalonians with John and John with Genesis. Not with what someone wrote back in the Reformation. Our harmony is right here. This is where our truth comes from. Amen? Okay. Number three. Satan is a master of partial truths. 
Don't you remember when Jesus was in the wilderness and after, uh, after the 40 days of, of, of fasting and, 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 and then he tempted him? What did he do? He threw scripture at him. But he didn't throw all the scripture at him. He kind of cut and pasted and he cherry picked. You, know, you can prove just about anything you want with a little bit of verse here and there out of context. You can. But does it line up with the verses before and the verses after? Is it clear? Does it manage with what he preached over here to this church? There's so much that are parallel. Okay? And the Bible says, out of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. Someone gives you a verse, you have the right to say, give me a couple more. God's word will stand up to it. Right? Let me, let me share this with you, okay? <clears throat> now, again, I'm not here to make fun of anybody. But, but what's so frustrating for me when, when I first, as, as you know, I, I never even opened up a Bible until my 20s. And I started going to churches, and I'd go to church on Sunday morning, I'd go to one on Sunday night, and I went another one on Wednesday, and I was just going through the yellow pages up in Detroit. And I was asking questions. And I'd go to a, one church, and they'd say, oh, you got to be baptized to get go to heaven. And I'd say, but what about the thief on the cross? You know what I hate? Yeah, but. Yeah, but. It's like, he didn't count, let's just keep on going. Yeah, but. There's no yeah buts in scripture. <coughs> How does the Holy Spirit come into something? Well, you got to invite him. But what about John the Baptist when he was still in the womb? Yeah, but. <coughs> you go on. There's no yeah buts. Right? We do ask for the Spirit. But in that special way, no. He's the author. Right? So I'm not here to make fun of anybody. But all I'm doing is just to say, God requires us to harmonize his word. Because when we don't harmonize his word, you know what we're doing? We're mishandling it. In first, no, it's second Peter chapter one, verse 20 or 21. It's talking about no scripture is of any private interpretation. That means that means when I cut and paste something, take it out of its context and use it for my hobby horse. No, we, we can't do that. Okay, And sometimes we get to a place and there's two verses and we don't know, we can't reconcile them. But that doesn't mean they cannot be reconciled. It means I haven't reconciled it here. God's word is pure and it means my preconceived notions are getting in the way and maybe I need to go get a four-year-old to see for me. You're laughing? Jesus said, except ye become as a child, ye cannot enter the kingdom of God. Sometimes it's that simple. And I'm guilty of making things too hard. Okay? I've got one more set of verses I want to look at. Okay, stewardship. What's stewardship? Well, normally we think of stewardship and we think of someone that uh, maybe is managing a company for somebody else. Or maybe someone that's been given a plot of land and, and you're going to farm it for somebody else. Or, or, or maybe, in a way, when I taught in high school, I was given the stewardship over kids in the area of mathematics and I was supposed to teach them mathematics. And I was delegated that responsibility by their parents and I was, I was given stewardship. Well, you know what a preacher's given stewardship over? The Word of God. And stewardship is all about integrity. 
I want to handle this word with as much integrity. I'm going to make enough mistakes by mistake, let alone the ones I do with my purpose or laziness. But I want to try to be, have the most integrity I can with the word of God. And preaching is all about stewardship over God's word. It's the integrity with God's word. Let me give you the verses. 1 Corinthians 4, 2, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. Well, how do I do that? I do that by ignoring the context. 2 Timothy 2, 15, rightly dividing the word of God. I told you as a math guy, I'm not a grammar guy. Sometimes you got to diagram the sentence. Sometimes you got to chase a pronoun's antecedent up three verses to find out who the noun is, the subject matter that the he or the she or the I is representing. I hate doing that. But just because I hate it doesn't mean I get off the hook from doing it. If I want to represent God fairly, I need to do that. Amen? And sometimes it tells me to do something I don't want to do. Tough. And here's the other verse I just quoted, 2 Peter 1.20. No prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. I can't take something and make it say just what I wanted to say it because that's my agenda. I can't do it and I can't pull it outside of a verse and just use it to prove the thing I want to get done. We kind of talked about that last week with some forgiveness passages, right? Okay, so let's go back. Let's go way back to the beginning, and let's go to my Hebrews, way back here. Remember in Hebrews, we started off Hebrews chapter 32. I'm sorry, chapter 11, verse 32. Let me read that passage one more time, okay? Just the first four guys. And what shall I more say, for the time shall fail, I'm sorry, the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, number one, of Barak, of Samson, and of Jephthah. I'm so math-oriented in my thinking, and I think I've shared this with you on Sunday nights. When I looked at Gideon's life and I looked at his spiritual walk, I'm going to get real mathematical on it, I'm sorry. It's the best illustration I can. I see a bell-shaped curve. I see a curve that starts off really, really low. It gets high, and then it goes back down low. Okay? That's Gideon in chapter 6 is low. Gideon chapter 7 is high, and Gideon in chapter 8, he went back down. When I go to Barak, the second guy, for you math people, it was like an exponential curve. It started low, and it just kept going higher and higher and higher and higher, and trending higher, higher, higher. I went to the next guy, Samson. You know what he did? He started about mid-range, and he kept on going lower, 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 lower. And then I saw Jephthah, the fourth guy, he was flat. He was steady at it, right across the middle. He had a good relationship with God, but with people, he just soon bust you in the nose to look at you. There he was. How can you look at four guys that are that diverse, the bell-shaped curve, exponential up, exponential down, and the flatliner? How do all four of those characters get to heaven? And I can't, yeah, but any of them. I've got to reconcile them. I've got to go back like Isaac, instead of praying the prayer when it was three, one, one, and one, 
I got to do my best. I got to go back to the drawing board and I got to try to get those numbers closer to 6000. And then I know I got God's doctrine and not my doctrine. Whenever I have three, one, one, and one, it's my doctrine. It's not God's. Amen? So there's integrity with the word. And I would love to have integrity with his word. I pray that that's the case. And uh, sometimes that doesn't make you popular, but I'd just soon be popular with God than popular with men. Amen? Amen.